Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Hello there, O'Toole. Hey, Hollister. How are you? I'm fine, and we're taping on Tuesday afternoon and just heard the news about Carrie Fisher. I just wanted to express how very sad I am. It's so, so sad. And Hollister, I was thinking about it. The fact that she had cardiac arrest on a plane from London to L.A., that flight route is so symbolic of her real life because she was born in LA, but then she moved to London when she was still quite young to study acting. So she only came back to Hollywood to make her film debut in Shampoo with Warren Beatty. You're my mother's hairdresser. I do hair, yeah. Chopped liver? No, thanks. So by the time she made Star Wars in 77, she was only 19 years old. Amazing life, but she was in London making Catastrophe. I saw that Catastrophe season three had just wrapped. Yeah. Did yeah. you see what Sharon Horgan posted on her Instagram site? No, what did she say? She said Carrie Fisher was the most generous, fun, gifted, smart, kind, funny, funny, funny person I've ever met. What a lovely thing to say, but for me, Princess Leia was the first superhero who was a female, you know? I love that about her, but my favorite moment with Carrie Fisher was in When Harry Met Sally, when she was going through her Rolodex for Meg Ryan. Great moment. She oh my God. was fantastic in that movie. I'm saying that the right man for you might be out there right now, and if you don't grab him, someone else will, and you'll have to spend the rest of your life knowing that someone else is married to your husband. I loved what she had to say about Star Wars in her one-woman show, Wishful Drinking. She was so funny about the Star Wars franchise and what George Lucas had done to ruin her life, turning her into a shampoo bottle and everything else and making someone from the audience wear the Princess well, Leia wig. Well, I think she's a little tongue-in-cheek. I mean, she it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to her, too, right? Of course, yeah. but she is, I mean, she was such a funny, funny, funny person and a very gifted writer. So I hope she rests in peace. Rest in peace, Carrie Fisher. Such sad news coming out today. Now, also, because it's the holiday time and I have a little bit of extra time on my hands, I did catch up on a couple of films. Oh, to tell. Okay, Snowden. Oh, which version? The the big movie that came out. Okay, I, I didn't know if you meant the documentary, but okay. No, you would have watched the documentary, I would have watched the movie. <laughs> okay, that's and the documentary has a different name that. anyway. Snowden. Did you, did you enjoy it? Uh, Snowden, I watched it, and that's all I'm going to say about it. It really is very boring, to tell you the truth. So no leaks. Well, you know what I've been watching over the holidays? What? It's a series available on Netflix. It's like the Spanish version of Downton Abbey called Velvet. It takes place in the 50s. It involves the fashion industry. Wait, is, but it's it, got is that, it subtitled? It is subtitled, but it's got that same upstairs, downstairs oh my gosh, theme sure. running through it where the wealthy scion of the family that owns the fashion department store falls for the seamstress. It's fabulous. I totally recommend it. Okay, why don't we move now to our list of six. Thank you to Melissa Cohn for sponsoring us. And this week, we thought we would do movies that we're looking forward to seeing in 2017. Okay, so Halster, why don't you start us off? You want me to start? Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to do Table 19 to start. Do you Have you heard of it? You know, it's so funny. Not only have I heard of it, I had it on my list. And oh. then I thought, if I say that first, Hollister's going to make fun of me for picking something fluffy. Oh my gosh, I thought you would make fun of me. But it's, it's, it's you know, Anna Kendrick and Lisa Kudrow, who I, I think mm-hmm. Lisa Kudrow is one of the great comedic timing persons of our of our age and it looks fun and light and wonderful and with that kind of cast how could we not want to see it i'm eloise i got dumped by francie's brother the uh, best man back there at table one. Oh, no kidding 
This is a great table. It's a great one. <laughs> no, it isn't. Yeah, it is. No, it is. And she's also coming out with Pitch Perfect 3 this year. I saw so. that. But you know what? I just can't. I'm, I, you know, I, I'm just not. The only, uh, with the exception of The Godfather, I don't really like serial movies. I've read there are more than 20 sequels coming out in 2017. Really? Oh, my God. Yep. When you look at the roster, there's a lot of superheroes and a lot of reboots. So I thought, you know, I would have a hard time just winnowing down my list. And I don't know. When you get rid of the sequels and the superheroes, um, I feel like there should be more out there. But. Okay, I, to top off my list, I have a movie that I hope is coming out in 2017. I've heard talk of it now for quite some time. It's it's What I Do with Jennifer Lawrence, directed by Steven Spielberg. And it's based on the autobiography by the wartime photographer Lindsay Adario. Oh, wow. Yep. There is a writer attached, Peter Craig. And not only did he write The Town, but he wrote The Hunger Games, parts one and two. So he's going to be adapting Lindsay Adario's book. Well, it's funny because The Hunger Games... The first in the series of four of The Hunger Games, I thought all, by far and away was the finest. And I thought it was one of the best written. And the second one I thought was really well written, too. Three and four, I didn't. So I think if he's writing it, that's a good thing. Okay, I'm going to move to Fifty Shades Darker. Don't judge me. I love the glamour, <laughs> and I love looking at him. All right, what's your next one? What's Table 19, your most serious Okay, I'm not having this conversation with you, but I already <laughs> stuck in my Fifty Shades Darker, which is really sort of me saying... I'm going to be my, you know, my true self out there, and I'm not going to let any of you people intimidate me. So Fifty Shades well, Darker. Now I know how you'll be spending Valentine's Day. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not a okay, well, my, my next one comes out February 17th, and it's called A United Kingdom. Huh. Have you already seen the trailer? No. Okay, it stars Rosamund Pike from Gone Girl. Who I love. And David Oyelowo, who starred in Selma. Oh, I did see the trailer. It's based on a real story, and I chose this one because of the story. A couple of years ago, I was in Botswana, and some local people were talking about their leader, and they kept calling him, you know, he's our Obama. They said, yeah, 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 he has one white parent and one black parent. So his father had been a student at Oxford back in the 40s, and while he was in the UK, he fell in love with an English woman. So his father, who was the, the ruler then, just disowned him and said, don't even bother coming back. You're not a member of this family. How dare you? But the Botswanan people loved the love story. And they loved the couple and they eventually embraced him. And now their son is the leader. I am ready to serve you because I love my people. I love this land. But I love my wife. So that's a good choice. I like that. I like that. Okay. um, And then I'm going to bring up the founder. Have you heard about that? The one about McDonald's? Yes. The founder is a drama that tells the true story of Ray Kroc who was a salesman from Illinois who met, um, you know, Mac and, and Dick McDonald, who were running this, you know, burger operation in Southern California. And he was impressed by um, the brothers, the systems that they put together to make the food and really quickly. And he saw this franchise potential, keeping in mind, the only other franchise that was already out there was Arby's at that time. Interesting. So anyway, he maneuvered himself into this position to be able to pull the company from the brothers and create this million-dollar empire. I think he pretty much stole it, actually. But the tone of the script has been described as being akin to the social network, and there will be blood. Mm. So I, I, I'm really excited to see that. And it's coming out in January. With Michael Keaton. Yep. What else do you got? The last one on my list is The Sense of an Ending based on the book by Julian Barnes that won the Booker Prize. So I was drawn to this because of who's involved with the project. It's the same director who did The Lunchbox. But check out the cast. Jim Broadbent, 
who you loved okay. in London Spy, yep. Charlotte Charlotte Rampling, Michelle Dockery from Downton Abbey, what? of course. And it's all about how memory is imperfect. Okay, then. Okay, and then my last one is Hidden Figures. You know, how is it that you started us off and you're still going last? I wasn't sure you were going to figure that out. <laughs> but you did seven last time, so I'm sticking this other one in. Well, yeah, Hidden, really hidden Figures isn't that hidden, God. but okay. I swear to God, I thought you weren't going to notice. Okay, Just but because you're the tennis player, I could kind of keep track of the serve. Okay. Is, well, you can't really count. You can't really count Fifty Shades Darker because I didn't even talk about it. I just said I'm watching it. But <laughs> Hidden Figures, um, which comes out January 13th, and... You know, the United States race against Russia to put a man in space was so exciting. I had no idea that there were women involved in this, let alone women of color. And it's an amazing cast, all-star cast, um, about these women mathematicians who were women of color and how strongly they had to push themselves to even get in the room to make the decisions. And I can't wait to see it January 13th. Are any of the real women still alive? I don't know. I'll look into that and get back to you on that. Okay. Okay. Okay, so now we're going to move over. To La La Land. Yes. Hollister saw a musical. I think we should just take a moment right there well, and applaud Hollister you. Hollister saw half of a mu- musical before she walked out with her daughter. No. Did you really? I did, yeah. No. Did you By at least way, dance out? By the way, just FYI, I wasn't the only one. Really? Okay, can I just start off by saying that in order to have a successful musical, you have to have really good music. Now, if you can tell me, O'Toole, one song that you remember in that musical, I'll eat my hat. City of Stars. Oh, please. That just entered my brain. The Germans have a word for it called you're a smart earworm. Girl, but would you, are, just, are you are you humming that when you leave? Yes, that was in my head. Oh it's my still God. in my head. Mm-hmm. I so don't think so. I went and looked it up so that I would have somebody behind me having my back on this. Rex Reed didn't like it either. I saw his review where he said yeah. it smelled of mothballs or something well, like that. Well, one of the things he said, which I thought was so good, Ryan Gosling can't sing and Emma Stone is no Sid Charisse. When he croons a love song, he's so flat and out of tune, it made me wince. Now, by the way, as you know, I think I'm a great singer and everybody <laughs> I know thinks I'm, I sing out of tune and totally flat. And I thought he was totally flat. So imagine how bad he is. City of stars, are you shining just for me? His dancing is better, but rudimentary, which is surprising considering his early years in the Mickey Mouse Club, which I think is a really funny line, actually. Mm -hmm. Together, their charisma wouldn't fill a demi-toss. He's such a good writer, that Rex Reed. Well, I have to say this in their defense. Ever since I saw Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling together in Crazy Stupid Love, and there's that hilarious scene where she sees his abs, and she looks at him with those Pixar-sized eyes of hers, and she goes, what are they, Photoshopped? (laughs) I was totally ready for them to re-team. So I thought... They were very compelling leads, but I agree. I mean, you know, it's evoking it so this series. LA well, and I mean, so I don't pretentious. They evoke this Hollywood classics 1930s era. They were of trying Fred to, but they should watch some of the to see how to do well, it. They, I mean, they did on. watch the movies. You know, the director he hosted screenings on set every Friday night, and they make a lot of references to these classic movies. But there's certainly 
they're not Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. I saw an interview with Emma Stone where she said that Damien Chazelle, who wrote and directed the film, encouraged them not to be perfect. He said, that's fine. I want you to be a little bit messy because we're about two people who are still pursuing their dreams. Here's But I think that this movie is really being, it's, it's been given a boost by nostalgia for the form. So since there are no other movies being made today I, I, like I this. I totally agree, yep. Yep, so don't yeah, but expect. but it's not being given a boost. It's probably going to win the Academy Award for Best Film. It's been touted all over the world. I spoke to a friend who saw Fences last week, and then she went to this, and she said, the reason I liked it is because I've been so depressed lately and it was just light, and I didn't have to think about it, and it made me laugh. Mm-hmm. And I thought, it didn't make me laugh. Now, that opening sequence of, you know, everybody trying to get on the 405 or the 105 or whatever that the was. 105, the yep, which is elevated 100 okay. feet in the of, air. They really those, filmed it there. Think of those, you know, opening sequences in West Side Story. Well, see, this is cool, what I man, mean. Cool, cool, man, cool. And then it builds, 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 but at least the scene belongs there. Nobody dances and plays around when they're waiting in line for an hour to get on the 105. They just don't. You know, they're crank. See, it just, to it just me, was... that was kind of funny. Because if I had to write a college essay about symbolism in this movie, I love in L.A. that they call these highways surface streets. Because I think one of the things about L.A. is that many people say it's such a surface city because it's such a thin line between reality and unreality. So when you've got them working on movie sets where movies are creating this fictive world, I thought it was neat to set it on the 105, even though even though some of the you know producers were worried that somebody was going to fall off the 105 to their death. Um, you know that they filmed well, they did it. it on a weekend and they said it was rough because mm-hmm. the weather was bad part part of the time. And, the the fact that they could shut down that street for 48 hours was impressive. You know, it's, it's funny. When I had to move to L.A. for a job for three years where I took this position. Long story doesn't make it's not interesting. But and then I noticed whenever I went somewhere for dinner, you know, there was nowhere to park on the street and there were no garages. You had to use valet. But then I started to think about it three months into my little foray in L.A. And I thought, where do they put the car? Like. If there are no parking garages and there's no parking on the street, where are the, where are these valets taking my car? You sound so like asked, Holden Caulfield with where do the ducks in oh, Central Park so go in the winter? I said to the guy, where are you taking my car? And he said, you don't want to know. <gasps> and I, started, I said, I sort of do want to know. He said, we just park it wherever we can in an alley. or. And I thought to myself, that's so L.A. Here's my car, and I'm not going to worry about where my car is, but you really have nowhere to park my car. I mean, the whole thing is just absurd. See, you know, the whole way they live is absurd in certain ways. And and I thought this movie was so indicative of that. But I also thought that these people were not talented. And one of the things that Rex Reed said that I wished I had said was that this had been a really big show from the 40s or something. They would have gotten somebody to dub their voices in. So they sang really beautifully, you know. I mean, it just wasn't good enough. And they couldn't, neither one of them could dance. I thought... um... 
the whole aspect of following your dreams, of course, is a very L.A. concept. Even the making of this movie, what they went through to get funding for a musical, that's already two people who really have to believe in a dream and give it their all. So I thought that part was inspiring, but it's definitely a light little trifle. But it's getting huge, huge, huge marks. And I think it, it reminds me a little bit of that movie, The Artist, that came out in 2011, right, which won that. five Oscars. Yep. See, again, it was a throwback. So it was a black and white silent movie, and they don't make them like that anymore. Look, I'd love musicals to come back. I love a good musical, but I want it to be good, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing is there is controversy around this film, and I have to tell you, I did think it also when I was in there, and I am a bit of a lefty. You know, we don't get into politics here. But here's the thing. You know, people of color invented jazz, but now we need a white man to come in to save and preserve it? You know, this narrative just didn't work for me in 2016. They never used people of color to interact with him around his jazz. He was always around white people. Well, no, you might have walked out too early, but John Legend is in this movie. He won an Oscar for Best Original Song for Selma. Right, which I think he deserved. How are you going to be a revolutionary if you're such a traditionalist? You're holding on to the past, but jazz is about the future. Really? You know, the people in jazz are saying, you know, not only that, bring in really great jazz. If you're going to do a musical, then bring in great jazz, you know, um, and bring in a jazz composer. I don't know. I mean, I I herald the filmmakers for making the film, and clearly they're jazz lovers. Because I Uh thought the making of stories around this film, some of them were pretty interesting. So Damien Chazelle, who wrote and directed the movie and even did some of the lyrics, he came up with the idea when he was at Harvard with his classmate Justin Hurwitz, who was the composer on both of Chazelle's films, Whiplash and La La Land. So it was their senior thesis, and it was a low-budget musical about a Boston jazz musician. And it was called Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench, which became their first movie. Then they graduated from Harvard, they moved to L.A., and they continued writing this movie where they really wanted to make an old-fashioned musical, but nobody would fund it. So they reset it in L.A. So the movie is very similar to their real-life passion, wanting to be creative, believing in this project, and, you know... They got it done, and now it's really getting lost. Well, that's cool. Here's to the ones who dream Foolish as they may seem It's been nominated for seven Golden Globes, two of which were for the music. One was for the score, and one was for Best Original Song. Yeah. I just didn't see it. And the other thing is, I thought her roommates were silly and stupid, and, you know, I didn't think they had to be like that. You know, it just was so ridiculous. To me, this was interesting that we have the opening scene you referenced where they're on the 105, and every time they tap the roof of a car, somebody comes out of that car and starts dancing and singing. But then in almost every scene, it's really just Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. So we actually, we meet the roommates, and then they're dropped from the movie. We see them once in passing at her one-woman show. So there's very few scenes with other people. And I was kind of disappointed by that because Rosemary DeWitt, who plays Ryan Gosling's sister, I've always loved her. Yeah, and I think she could have had a bigger role. Absolutely. She's only in the movie for a nanosecond. And J.K. Simmons, who won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in Whiplash, you know, came back into this film by Damien Chazelle. And he really just had a cameo, too. I would have loved to have seen more of him. You're fired. It's Christmas. Yeah, I see the decorations. Good luck in the new year. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I like the costumes. Does that help? The costumes were fantastic. Mary Zofris did them, and she's done so many films. She did the costumes for True Grit, The Big Lebowski, Interstellar, No Country for Old Men, Fargo, yeah. and yeah. Mandy Moore did the choreography. Not Mandy Moore from This Is Us, but the Mandy Moore who did the choreography in Silver Linings Playbook, which, you know, I loved. You know, another movie I didn't quite get. You know, it's funny about me movies, you know? And I, I just feel like the music in this was not memorable. And it was funny because I've got, other than you, I've asked a lot of people to hum a few bars of some piece of music from the film and nobody could. Really? And I thought that was really interesting because when you leave other musicals, you know, you can. And it was funny because Hamilton, which has sold more music than any other music, musical in the history of time already, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but already nobody's downloading these, this music. Really? Yeah, it's not getting huge downloads. I looked it up, and they didn't have numbers, but there's nothing, you know, there's nothing nothing skyrocketed around it musically in terms of people downloading the uh, iTunes songs and everything else. It's not sitting on the top ten of any list. And I, I think that tells the story. You know, you can't, the music has to be as good as the plot and as good as the acting and as good as the cinematography. It has to be. And it is. It was. Do you think it really it's wasn't. not getting as many downloads because it is such a throwback style? No, I think it's not getting any downloads because it wasn't great music. You know, I will say this for Ryan Gosling. Damien Chazelle thought he was going to have to hire a double to do the piano playing scenes, and in the end, he didn't have to. Ryan Gosling did the piano playing himself, and I thought yeah. that was impressive. Well, that was good. Yeah. They also sang live when they made the movie. And I thought that was impressive. Les Miserables was the first one to actually shoot with people actually singing. And they had a keyboard on set for Les Miserables. And and then everybody had earpieces. So the keyboard played and people sang, you know, and it really worked well. I mean, if you think about it, people could really, really uh, get into the music and make the music timing wise part of the scene they were in. And since then, I think music will also often be done that way now. I don't it's, think it's hard to pull off. I mean, of course, Emma Stone had just come from doing cabaret on Broadway. So if you can do it live, it's definitely the way to do it. Yeah. Yes, all we're looking for is love from someone else. I just wanted to play this clip here. It's from the Hollywood Reporter Roundtable with Emma Stone. What she said I thought was so interesting about her biggest concern. I was really nervous about the tone of the film. I didn't really fully understand how we'd be sitting at a dinner table having an argument, you know, with a handheld camera and then move into CinemaScope and fly into space. So <laughs> I was like, how do you go from something very small into song? She captured a feeling, sky with no ceiling. Her biggest concern should have been she can't dance, she has no rhythm. Look, I happen to have watched The Help this week after seeing her and that I just wanted to go back and find her again after I was so disappointed in La La Land. You know, she's a great, great actor, but I just don't think this was good for her. You know, look, she's mesmerizing on the screen. You could stare at her all day. I get that. But this was not, this was not the right well, see, shot After her. seeing Emma Stone do the lip sync battle with Jimmy Fallon, I was totally ready to see her in a musical. Uh-huh. Again, I didn't not like the film, but I'm with you. I don't think it deserves this 100 percent rating it's getting on a lot of the buzzometers yeah there you know by the way rex reed wasn't the only one who didn't like it there were people you know i think it was so out of the box and maybe just the last few months have been so depressing for everybody just to see something that wasn't 
you know, wasn't Fences or Manchester or whatever. Maybe maybe the group that it was sitting in made people want to see it more or something, but um, I just did not feel that it it was at the caliber that I would have wanted to see for somebody who's nominated. How many Golden Globes is it nominated for? Do you remember? Seven. Seven, yeah, seven. Golden Globes? Are you serious? You know, I mean, lighting? I don't, you know, like, really? It's interesting that they had this retro current tone going on where when you look at the clothes, you know, Ryan Gosling wears spats throughout the film. Well, and then when she puts hers on, too, it's so contrived. I mean, come on. You know, and, and he's got his you know, uh, 50s car with the wings in the back, his convertible there. And yet it is this current L.A. setting. Uh So it almost felt like they were the animated characters in a real-life film, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I I have nothing against seeing people float through the air in an observatory. And I liked all the references to the classic Hollywood movies because for an industry like Hollywood that is so good at creating these other worlds, very rarely do they take us backstage. So the fact that she was a barista on set on the Warner Brothers lot... You know what movie that was from? You know, but when she shows him that window where they use that window to film Ingrid Bergman and Humphrey Bogart and Casablanca. And the references to Casablanca, the fact that there's a piano player, and I guess these two, though, will never have Paris. But the references to Rebel Without a Cause and going to the observatory, which they used to film a scene in Rebel Without a Cause. And even the contrivance that they used... Not unlike the Gilmore Girls revival, where they went through each of the seasons. They started in winter, just like Gilmore Girls, and then had one more winter at the end. That was right out of the movie The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which was another movie that inspired Damien Chazelle. You know, I think it was sort of self-absorbed. Hollywood self-absorption with itself, you know, and the richness of its history. And it's just, to me, was so contrived and so seriously... You know, this is this is the best movie of the year? I don't think so. Hollister, let me ask you this, because when we reviewed the movie The Nice Guys yeah. with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe... I know what you're going to say. Go for it. I'm ready. You loved the fact that it was referential of The Three Stooges. And here we have a movie that is filled with really references well to things like Singing in the Rain, where Ryan Gosling even twirls around a lamppost. You if know, he could and all twirl these other around the lamppost as well, as we've seen before, that would be fine. But it's like a first See, grader. It's like a. It's you know what it is. It's like it's like the sixth grade class doing, you know, snippets of of great movie scenes. You know, if they could do them really well, you know, if they could match the enormity of the talent on those stages, then great, I'm all in. But they're so not talented in that way. You know, I mean, they really. They went to actors that are big names and big stars and rather than actors that can really dance and sing. Now, you know, it's funny because have you seen Anna Kendrick dance and sing? I saw her on Jimmy Fallon when she danced with him. She was nominated for a Tony by okay. the time she was 12. She could have done this and she could have sung the songs, made them better, and she could dance the night away. And, it, you know, it's just it would have been a better, better fit. You know, I wonder if they went with Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone because they'd already done two prior movies Absolutely. together. Absolutely. You so. know, the incestuousness of the decision was really, I think, was to the detriment of, of what came out at the end. It really was, you know. There, I mean, there are actors that could have done these roles. By the way, you See, know I love him. I love him. Ryan Gosling, I didn't think his tap dancing was bad. I give him kudos for playing the piano. Not bad. It's not what we're looking for here. Damien Chazelle is hoping to re-team with Ryan Gosling in his next film, 
First Man, which is going to be a movie about the astronaut Neil Armstrong, which again, if you think about it, is about somebody pursuing a wild dream that nobody thinks you can really pull off. And I do like that optimistic nature of the themes. Look, I think they should movies. have had a man of color who can really tap and who can really do jazz. You know, Justin Timberlake could have done it. He can sing and he has rhythm. And I'd rather see Ryan Gosling play the part. By the way, interesting that you chose another musketeer. Well, you know me and the musketeers. <laughs> I'm all in, girl. All in for the musketeers. If you divide it in three, you have to be able to sing, you have to be able to act, and you have to be able to dance. Ryan Gosling has one. He can act. It's pretty strange that we keep running into each other. Maybe it means something. I doubt it. Yeah, I don't think so. You could just write your own roles, you know, write something that's as interesting as you are. What are you going to do? I have my own club. Is that going to happen every time? I think so. But, you know, I like the tone in terms of it really conveying L.A. So, for example, my sister lived in L.A. for many, many years. And I remember when I was going to buy my first car, she said, well, of course you're going to get a convertible, right? And I said, oh, am I supposed to get a convertible? She goes, well, how else would you talk to people at red lights? And I liked that, you know, scene at the beginning on the 105. I never, ever spoke to one person at a red light in L.A. the three years I lived there. Hollister, I mean, does this really, have you ever spoken to anyone at a red light anywhere? No. Have you honked at them and have you been working on your Uber rating? Only when I wanted them to go because the light had changed green and they weren't moving. Yes, I have. Oh, I think she had that edge to her. You know, what you could see the irritation in her when she went to do the, the, the reading and, you know, they said, okay, thank you after she said two lines, you know. Two options. You either follow my rules or follow my rules. Capiche? Thank you. I can do it a different way. No, that's, that's fine. Thank you very much. Well, that I thought was supremely interesting because yeah. when Damien Chazelle was writing the script, he asked Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling for real-life experiences they encountered auditioning for roles. And that very thing had happened to Ryan Gosling. He said he was in the middle of a very emotional scene and the casting director just took a call on their cell phone. And watching those scenes, once again, I have to give it up to actors that you have to be made of steel to go through really that true. rejection process. Yeah, okay, so are you giving this like five stars and I'm giving it one? No, I don't think we have to be that extreme. I'm not with the reviewers who think it's a perfect movie. Okay. I would rather watch a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movie, but I do applaud them for taking on the form and kind of bringing it back to life. But this is terrible because since you walked out early, I can't ask what you thought about the ending. Well, I read the ending. And? You know, typical. I, I, I knew the ending before we left. And actually, so did my daughter. We both left and then we looked it up and it was there was no surprise there. It Why really did you think they were, it was me. going to be that perfectly ever after? No, and to me, I thought that was actually nice, that here you have the unreality of L.A. throughout the movie, and then it actually added a note of reality. It wasn't worth the wait. It reminded me of Loan Me a Tenor, the ending, where you go back and you redo the whole play in a quick little mm -hmm. segment. You know, the more I'm talking about it, the less I liked it. Really? Yeah. I just thought it was self-serving, contrived, and, and not well done, and not, you know, not good enough. I think the kudos it's receiving are inflated, but I liked seeing the Warner Brothers lot. I liked the optimism you know, you know of it. I liked the old-fashioned romance of I, it. I'll buy you <laughs> two tickets for the tour. You do not have to see it on a film. No, but it is interesting how rarely Hollywood turns a camera on itself 
and the process of making a film. When you think about how it many films it. are made. It pretended to. If Hollywood ever did a movie that really turned the, you know, turned the camera on itself, it would be awesome. We wouldn't want to see it. I well, don't you know. know. It, it, it could begs be a the very... question. Remember when Sony did the Sony hacks took place? That yep. would have been a great movie. Okay, well, Hollister... I'd like to end with my favorite line. Okay, from the you movie. go, girl. Not that there because was a that lot would be of dialogue. A, that would be an upbeat way to end. So go ahead, have this beer you know, and what's and your favorite line? I'm not going to sing it for you. I'm so glad you asked. It's when Ryan Gosling says, Los Angeles is the place where people worship everything and value nothing. Okay, my favorite line was when my daughter turned to me and said, Can we leave? Is she going to be going to Fifty Shades Darker? No, with you? you don't go to Fifty Shades Darker with your mother. <laughs>